Well, we are in chapter 8 of the Confession. I was looking for the Anderson. Tonight we're looking at paragraph 4. And uh, if you think about paragraph 8, looking at Christ the mediator, uh, again, what is a mediator? Yeah. Yeah, to to bring about a, a resolution to a problem between two parties. And again, as we've seen in chapter eight, uh, there the only hope of a of a mediation is the the condensate condensate condescension of God Himself. For we cannot mediate for ourselves. It must come from God. And Christ is our mediator. You know what? Um, I, I encourage you to memorize Colossians 2.9. Anybody have opportunity to memorize that? Want to share it? Lydia. Great job. Yeah, a short verse, but yet amazing truth. Speaking of the deity of Christ, to, to see the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form in Christ. Again, Christ is our mediator. In paragraph 4, were you looking at the screen, Lydia? No, I'm, I'm playing, sorry. Paragraph 4 states, This office the Lord Jesus did most willingly undertake, which that he might discharge, he was made under the law and did perfectly fulfill it, and underwent the punishment due to us, which he should have borne and suffered. Excuse me, which, which we should have borne and suffered, being made sin and a curse for us, enduring most grievous sorrows in his soul and most painful sufferings in his body, was crucified and died, and remained in the state of the dead, yet saw no corruption. On the third day he arose from the dead with the same body in which he suffered, with which he also ascended into heaven, and there sits at the right hand of his Father, making intercession, and shall return to judge men and angels at the end of the world. Again, as we see this of Christ being our mediator, the, the statement here at the beginning of paragraph 4, the office the Lord Jesus did most willingly. His attitude here is, is a picture of that, the willingness, as he says in John chapter 10, verse 18. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself, and I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it, take it again. This commandment I have received from my Father. He is the one who lays down his life, but why? He did as the Father has commanded him. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 shows the attitude of Christ, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the, what's that word there? The joy set before him. What was that joy? He endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. To think about Christ 
taking on the, the, the office of mediator, doing it willingly. And as it says, which that he might discharge, meaning that he would bring it to completion, that he would fully do that work. He wouldn't just kind of start something, but he would complete it and to do it perfectly. And the rest of the paragraph begins to kind of show Christ's, and I think Sam Waldron calls it his qualifications to be the mediator. How did he become the mediator? And I, I want us to see, look at it in two different aspects. Christ's work in his humiliation and Christ's work in his exaltation. His humiliation, meaning in, in his bodily form, we see him humbling himself and becoming uh, the mediator for us. But even in his exaltation, he is still a mediator. There's a, a sense in which it was a, a past, and he is presently, and there's still a future mediation to happen. Again, in the past, he was made, first of all, under the law. Calvin said of Galatians, For Christ, the Son of God, who might have claimed to be exempt from every kind of subjection, became subject to the law. It, 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 it's almost a, it should cause our minds to say, this is not right. For God himself to put himself under that which he created. The perfect humility of Christ. But as he subjected himself to the law, he perfectly fulfilled it. He underwent, I'm getting ahead of myself, but he kept it perfectly. Again, Romans 5.19, as, as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. There's, we'll see in chapter 11, there's two aspects of his obedience. There's an active obedience and a passive obedience. His active obedience was his life, the, the living perfectly under the law. You realize he never disobeyed his parents? Because that would have been sin. Talk about being his siblings. The challenge of, I've got a perfect brother. But I don't want it to be made light of. He perfectly kept the law. Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to what? To fulfill it. Not to put it away, but to to perfectly keep it so that he could be our mediator. He did it in his obedience actively, but passively as he laid his life down. He was the perfect sacrifice. We'll see that more in chapter 11. He was made under the law. He perfectly fulfilled it. And he underwent the punishment due to us. He took the punishment that we deserve. For the wages of our sin is death. And he took upon himself death. 2 Corinthians 5.21 is probably the key verse on this. For he, meaning God the Father, made him God the Son, who, know no, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Let us be careful not to misapply that or misunderstand it. Christ did not, become, did not sin 
but the guilt of our sin was placed upon him. Our sin was imputed. He was made a curse. As Galatians 3.13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. The innocent Son of God took upon himself in his humility our debt, our sin. He was crucified when he died. As the confession states, enduring most grievous sorrows in his soul and most painful sufferings in his body. Let us not forget where the foundations have been laid here, that Christ was two natures but one man. He was a physical man. He did not just get by. His crucifixion was real. As we were watching the Case for Christ movie, one of the things that God was working in Lee Strobel's life was to say, well, maybe he, he the swoon theory, maybe he just kind of survived the crucifixion and he, he flew out to California and visited a medical doctor and the medical doctor said, it is my medical opinion, there's no way that he survived. The Romans, it was their job to make sure he died. It was their lives if he did not die. They were perfectors of the art of crucifixion, and yet we see Christ undertook this. What's his attitude? Willingly. For the joy set before him. The joy in his life to redeem a people, to be that perfect mediator. But notice, as he is crucified and he dies, it says he remained in the state of the dead, yet saw no corruption. Psalm 16.10, For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Psalm 16 is one of those messianic psalms looking ahead to Christ. That, that not even in his death was there any corruption about him, that he stayed perfect. We see Christ's work in his humiliation. But then here's where we begin to see Christ's work in his exaltation, because on the third day he rose from the dead And notice that it states very carefully with the same body in which he suffered. Again, this is is attacking the views of, well, Jesus rose from the dead, but it was more of the spirit body. No, it was his physical body. It was that physical body that John 20... 20 verse 27 says, Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands, and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. First Corinthians fifteen twenty one, For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. Our, our hope is in Christ. The, the seminal point of the gospel messages he is alive he's risen just as he said 
And not only is he risen from the dead, he ascended into heaven. I I remember preaching through the book of Acts and just kind of dwelling on this passage in Acts 1, 10 and 11. It says, And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood up by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? Seriously, they asked that question. Like, um, something's happening. This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. What an amazing thing that would have been to see Christ. Ascending to his rightful throne. He came in humble fashion, but he left in glorious fashion. And he ascended into heaven. And there he sits down. He sat down. He finished his saving work. But one of the things I was challenged when I thought about this, his work is not completely done because he is still interceding on behalf of us. The sitting down is his, the saving work. But as he is seated at the right hand of the throne, he is now making intercession for us. As Hebrews 9 verse 24 says, For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. On our behalf. He took our sin on our behalf. He stands in heaven on our behalf. That is that beautiful picture of the mediator. It's not just a one time, but it's forever. Yeah, Gary. Can we go back a couple of scriptures at First Corinthians 15? Yeah, fifteen twenty one. Yeah, that that passage is a great uh, uh, passage because it's speaking about the resurrection of Christ. And, and if Christ is not risen from the dead, we are the most to be pitied. And so we we see kind of a parallel of Romans 5. For since by man came death, that's speaking of Adam. In Adam all die. By man, capital M, helps us see that it's speaking and pointing toward Christ also came the resurrection from the dead. That we are, as uh, Romans 5.19, in one man we, uh, many die, in one man's obedience many were made alive, many made righteous. And we see that contrast, the, the first Adam and the last Adam. Uh, at the Creation Museum they have that last Adam video. That it's a great just reinforcement of the truth of the gospel. We start in creation with Adam and the fall. And Paul pointing out here in 1 Corinthians 15. And and there's not anything, um, there's no capitalization in Greek. And so looking at the context of 1 Corinthians 15, you understand that Paul is using a contrast here. He's not saying Adam died and Adam brings resurrection from the dead. But in the context there, Paul is speaking that Christ is risen from the dead, the first fruits of those who are to be made alive. Does that kind of answer that question, Gary? And to see the, the beauty of that. 
that, that contrast. Thanks for bringing emphasis to that. But to consider how Christ is continuing. As Romans chapter 8 verse 34 says, Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Verse that just came to mind, 1 John 2. Again, 1 John 1 is saying, if everybody sinned, If we say we have not sinned, verse 10 of chapter 1, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. But then he recognizes, in a sense, when. And if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, the appeasement of the, of the wrath of God the Father. And not for ours only, but for the whole world. Again, that's not speaking universalism. It's saying not just for us Jews, but to those Gentiles as well. That salvation was not only one ethnic group. He continues to do that work. That's why we, when we pray, we pray in Jesus' name. He is our advocate. He is our mediator. He continues to show his stripes. By his stripes or by his wounds, we are healed. But then the confession ends the paragraph saying, and shall return to judge men and angels at the end of the world. Again, he has gone into heaven, but he will come again, not in the humble fashion, but in a glorious, mighty fashion to bring a final judgment. A judgment of the men and women, that's mankind, and angels. Again, the angels... A third of them fell with Lucifer and face the punishment and the wrath of God. But notice, the mediation is for mankind, not for angels. There's a grace that God has showed us in Christ that the angels don't have. There's a unique love that God has for his people in providing a mediator. Again, as paragraph, excuse me, as chapter 8 has showed us, it has to be God who comes to us, God who prepares a way. Because God couldn't ignore in his, we saw the attributes of God. God can't ignore our sin, so there must be a way to pay for our sin. And the payment for our sin could only be God himself. That is how God can be just and the justifier. And so we see the, the beauty of, of Christ. It's how we can sing one with himself, I cannot die. We, we see our hope is not in our work, 
But in his work, in his work that he, because he fully obeyed the law, he kept it perfectly. He died, rose from the dead, proving that his death was sufficient. And we receive the payment by faith. We receive that gift of eternal life by faith. Is Christ your mediator? Is, is he mediating between you and God the Father right now? Because this isn't a, a, a promise for the whole world. It is for those who are in Christ, for those who by faith have put their trust in Christ to save them, who have said, God, Father, I, I see that I have sinned. I've sinned against you. Cleanse me, make me clean, and I no longer rest in my own good works, but I rest in my perfect mediator, Christ. I pray we would consider that truth tonight. Let's, let's pray. Father, we could dwell a long time on these truths, and though we study them quickly, let us not just pass on. Lord, what a blessed hope we have. Those who by faith are are your children, that we don't stand and never will stand on our own merits before you. But we stand because of our great mediator, Christ, who died, who, who paid the debt that we owed. Father, I pray that you would Open our eyes to that truth, Lord. For those who have been blind, give eyes of faith to see that Christ is our only hope. That we might cling to him, that we might, in repentance and faith, turn and trust him for our salvation. And thank you for the confidence that we can have before you. That as we live in this body, that we still do sin, that we continue to look to you for the forgiveness. Thank you that Christ is that perfect mediator. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.